It's the 19th hole with Michael Williams. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the 19th Hole. Michael Williams, your host here on Golf WRX. Uh, we got a great show for you this week. It was PGA Championship week last week, and it was awesome. Colin Morikawa, a guy who has been on the radar of golfers in the know who follow amateur golf. This guy uh, didn't have a, a breakout. This guy had a coronation uh, in winning the PGA Championship, putting up a 64 on Sunday and hitting two of the most clutch shots that I've ever seen hit in championship golf. They are going to be... Uh, just ingrained, uh, emblazoned in everybody's memory. And the only thing missing was the cheers because he just didn't have the crowds there. Nobody was there to recognize and to acknowledge. But if he put his hand to his ear closely, he could hear the roars that were coming from the windows of everyone who was watching on TV around the country. What a performance. So I did uh, some commentary on that, and I'm going to play it for you a little bit later, and that'll give you my detailed thoughts on that championship. have a couple of guests for you, too, as always. Going to concentrate on the people who are operating golf courses in these extremely challenging times and give you some insight into what they're doing and how they're keeping uh, the courses safe for us, keeping the courses in great condition for us now and you know in the future. Both of those things matter. So joining us are... Chris Card, who operates two golf courses. He operates a property in Florida and he operates a property in Massachusetts. Can you imagine? I mean, one property was in the middle of a hot spot earlier in the year. Another is in a hot spot right now. And he operates both of those. In the normal year, flying back and forth up and down the East Coast uh, would be a challenge. And this year it's especially challenging. So I wanted to talk to Chris Card about the uh, work that he does and how he has met the challenges of operating golf courses in the era of COVID-19. Because literally, if he can do it, anyone can do it. I think he's a great guest and has a lot of great insight for us. Also, we're going to be talking to Andy Johnston. He's the general manager and director of agronomy at Sentosa Golf Club in Singapore, which has been named the number one golf club in the world. Interesting title. Uh, when you think of some of the places that are up for that and that you would normally think of when you uh, hear that sort of designation. Yeah, Sentosa is at the top of the list. Uh, they are doing an unique uh, initiative at Sentosa that is uh, combining them with the United Nations to make golf courses some of the most conservation-friendly spots on the entire planet. It's a very unique initiative by uh, a club that really sets the, uh, the pace, it sets the standard when it comes to a lot of things. And now it's doing the same thing in the era uh, or in the realm of environmental control. So we're looking forward to uh, hearing what Andy has to say. Uh, as I said before, the PGA Championship this week, Colin Morikawa, we had DJ coming in to the final round um, with the lead and Colin Morikawa just um, sort of passed all of the uh, bombers that were on the leaderboard there, DeChambeau, and you had uh, Cameron Champ, you had uh, DJ, you had Kepka, uh, all of these big, you know, sort of eight cylinder Hemis. And here comes this little Formula One car that's just handling the curves with 
laser-like precision and, and passes them all by. It was really a performance for the ages. Um, so I did CBS radio with uh, Jody Mack right after the championship. Uh, it was there. Jody Mack has the national show on CBS radio uh, at that time. So he asked me to come on and give a recap of the events uh, of the tournament, the highlights, the lowlights, and some thoughts on what's coming up in the remaining majors. So rather than try to recreate this thing, why don't I just play it for you? So uh, sit back and relax. Here you go. Uh, Michael, how are you tonight? How good a PGA Open was that? Uh, I am doing great, and the large part of why I'm doing great is because we got to see some championship golf, and you know what? What a tournament! I mean, what a what a great way to start the championship season. It's been a delay; everything's been weird, just like in every sport. But you know, the guys at the PGA, and I want to say a big shout out and congratulations to the guys Seth Waugh, um, Susie Whaley, Price uh, Dan Dillon, local local chairman. Everybody did a great job in putting on that tournament, and making it happen in this COVID nineteen era. And they were rewarded with an unbelievable championship and just, I mean, what a sparkling new talent, you know, you have on the horizon, uh, Colin Morikawa. This couldn't right. be better. We'll get into the uh, play of the winner, uh, which was phenomenal, in a second. But anytime you have a major play, um, everyone wants to dissect the course. Uh, yeah. I had to, had to get back to Harding Park. Been a while, but... I thought the course, A, looked phenomenal, which, oh, shoot, uh, we're doing this live. He, he, Colin was just handed the trophy, the you want to make a trophy, and he li- goes to lift it over his head, and the top comes off. And he right. almost beamed himself in the head. Uh, <laughs> luckily, he dodged well, much like he dodged any problems out there on the courts. He dodged the top of the trophy and didn't hurt himself. But that's a video you'll be seeing on YouTube for years and years and years to come. All right, back to the course. How did you think Harding Park looked? How do you think it played? How fair was it? How tough was it? Give me your evaluation of the course before we talk about the guy who mastered it. Um, I think it's another great uh, advertisement for uh, public golf courses being the settings for major championships. I've been watching that course since I was managing golf courses some years ago, <laughs> and that was sort of the one of the standards, along with Beth Page uh, up in New York, of how uh, the game of golf and local governments come together in these public-private partnerships and take a, a really good golf course and make it into something special. And I think, uh, again, Kerry Haig, who does, of course, set up for uh, the PGA, did a fantastic job in taking the course. It has to play muni play, so it doesn't have these greens that are small and super slopey and the ball is going to be rolling away from you at 17 miles an hour You know when you just hit a two-foot putt. It's, the greens are relatively flat and uh, relatively, relatively large, but they had the rough up, and the weather cooperated with some nice, cold, heavy air, and uh, you got uh, a champion with a great championship score, but, you know, they didn't run away from it. You know, people were thinking they were going to put up 21, 22 under or something like that. No way. I think this course uh, really acquitted itself well, and, again, a special shout-out to the guys who set it up, and, you know, it's going to be back. It, it, that, that course could easily host another major championship. Absolutely. It should after the uh, tournament they put on here against the odds that they were going against. The only thing I noticed about it was, and I'm not critiquing it, I'm just pointing it out. It seemed like the one thing that they kind of tinkered with was the greenside bunkers. That they weren't real sandy. They were almost beaten down and guys had tough times getting up and down out of those bunkers. 
do you think that was planned? That's just the way it worked out. Did guys not have good up and down weeks? They played fine for the fairway bunkers, actually, because I thought they were flat there, too. Guys could pick it off and go 200-plus out of a fairway bunker if necessary. Uh, what do you think of the greenside bunkers? Well, yeah, you, you just said it. You just covered it because, you know, not a bunch of sand in, uh, in, in bunkers. Welcome to the world of municipal golf. That's what they do. Um, and, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't have any sympathy for guys who say, oh, there's not no sand in these bunkers and I can't manage it. So you do this for a living, okay? And you can go have a wedge made for you from scratch, out of steel by four, okay? You have that much money that you can go get a special wedge that is especially made for these conditions. So I just don't want to hear it. So um, the green side bunkers, they play how they're played. You know that you have to pick it, so go do that. Um, and, you know, as you said, they have a big advantage out of the fairway bunkers because they can just absolutely go for it. They don't have to worry about picking up a spoonful of sugar. So, uh, you know, it, it cuts both ways. But, you know, at the end of the day, everybody plays the same course. And, you know, you got one guy who played it better than everybody else. And the bunkers did give it and take it away. We're talking to Michael Williams from uh, CBS uh, Radio, our golf insider and uh, writer for Golf Arcs. Um, Give me the background on Colin Morikawa. I saw him win a couple of weeks ago. It was a nice win. wasn't a major tournament by any stretch of the imagination. Mm -hmm. But he's a youngster who made his name pretty quickly and his bones on the tour. I couldn't have told you before this weekend started exactly what his game was. I can tell you what DJ's game is. I can tell you what McElroy's game is. I can tell you what Tiger's game is. I didn't yeah. know what Morikawa's game was. How would you describe his game, and did he play above and beyond his game this week? Uh, so a couple of fun facts about Colin Morikawa, a guy who uh, at one time was the uh, top-ranked amateur in the world. So people who follow amateur golf very much know him. Turned pro in uh, 2019. Uh, only took six starts for him to uh, get his first tour victory. It's 2019 at the Barracuda Championship. Uh, he got his uh, second one this year in a playoff against Justin Thomas. So that he has actually now more wins than missed cuts you know, in, in, his, uh, in his career, which is saying something. He started off his career with 22 uh, made cuts. Which uh, before he missed one, which is second place to a guy named Tiger, who started off his career with 25. Um, I think another fun fact is that when he uh, played in the Farmers Insurance Open this year with Tiger, was paired with Tiger. That was the first time that uh, Tiger was paired with a player in an event who was born after him, after he turned pro. <laughs> so wow, yeah. So he is a guy who people know about who follow golf, and you're asking for one word that describes his game, I would say his, his description from him would be elegant. Um, he plays every club in the bag. Um, he moves the ball both ways. He has the ability to control his ball flight, to control his shot shape. Um, he is the absolute polar opposite of somebody like, let's say, a Bryson DeChambeau, who's trying to turn the game into a home run derby right. where he hits two clubs. He wants to hit driver lob wedge on every single hole. Um, uh, this guy is um, a thinker. He plays chess while other guys are playing checkers. And uh, I think he's built for championship golf. And, you know, God willing and the crick don't rise. I think you can see him at the top of the leaderboard in a lot of major championship in years to come. And I'll tell you, as I was sitting here, I'm doing a show for the last three hours, and I'm trying to watch a tournament at the same time, and you're a little bit distracted while hosting a national sports <laughs> talk show. Um, but it seemed to me they always give you the great behind-the-player look when he tees off. 
and basically it seemed like he hit it exactly where he wanted to wanted to in the way that he wanted to he's not the kind who shapes shots and plays a major fade or a big hook temperate on either fades or hooks but he hit it down the middle every single time and it just seemed like he hit it exactly where he wanted to i guess that's how you were just describing him that he's just a stone cold very solid fundamental player yeah he's I'd say elegant and very deliberate. You know, when you mentioned that he's like sort of hitting the spots in the air that he's aiming for. And he's the type of player who's aiming for like a, a, a spot 40 feet in the air that's the size of a Dunkin' Donut. And he puts it right through there and, you know, moves his ball and shapes his ball in that way. I would tell you that drive on number 16, that drivable par four, again, kudos to the uh, PGA Championship uh, people for setting up this course so that you have so many holes where you have risk-reward and, you know, people got, you know, rewarded and punished, you know, in equal amounts. But he stood up there, 16, a championship on the line on Sunday at his age and takes the driver to seven feet on a 300-yard on a uh, 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 drivable par four. Um, it's, it's one of the great shots in PGA uh, championship history, if not right. PGA tour history. And um, I think it's just a defining moment for a career. That's the type of thing that can launch a guy into thinking about, not only does it make us think about him in a different way, he's going to start to think about himself in a different way. If I can do that under those circumstances, what is it that I can't do? And we've seen Tiger hit those sorts of shots in different circumstances, too, and look where it took him. So um, big, big, coming through big and big moments on big stages is what makes all-time great. And, uh, yeah, I think you just saw another one. As far as I think is the movie, right? Could could very well be, yeah. Won a couple of yeah. Academy Awards last year in the remake. Uh, we will be remaking another store and star on the PGA Tour. Michael Williams, our guest here on CBS Sports Radio. And, oh, by the way, the unbelievable drive that he had, 300 and change onto the green, seven feet out. A second-year player might be able to do that. Very infrequently, but he might be able to do that. But then he's supposed to miss the putt. He drains the seven-footer and gets the 13-under, and that's why it became. It's a, the combination of both of those shots. Don't forget he had to make the putt. Uh, will be, as you said, a historical golf, golf memories down the road. Uh, all right, uh, Dustin Johnson uh, birdies out on 18 to get to minus 11, so he finishes in a tie for second place before uh, with Paul Casey. Before the tournament started, is this one where DJ can hold on? He's had so many chances in majors. He's only gotten one. Is this going to be another? He let it slip through his fingers. I'm not going to use the word choke because this was not a choke. He played under par golf today. Uh, this was just someone stepping up and playing out of his mind golf and took it from him. Is that the way the critics are going to look at it? Or is DJ going to hear it? Another one, 30, uh, it's a three-day lead heading into Sunday, and he didn't get the job done. No, I mean, you'll hear, I think everybody's, you know, with the Internet. I mean, you'll hear a little bit of everything, right? Because, you know, that's the way people are. You're going to hear uh, people that disparage him and say he didn't do this and he didn't do that. Look, he got beat by a better guy on a better day. I mean, that's just that's just it. Uh, the guy put up a 64. And, um, you know, there's there's no shame in Dustin Johnson going out and shooting a 68, you know, uh, in, in the final group. It's not like he, you know, completely stepped on his shoelaces a la Brooks Kepka, you know, who went out and talked a lot of oatmeal yesterday and then goes out and shoots four over. And I don't know if he was hurt, if that hip finally just popped out of place permanently, but it seemed like from very, very excellent lives, he was hitting a lot of terrible iron shots. And I, I wonder if he was not physically uh, feeling uh, tip-top. But, you know, DJ, 
he, he had a, he had an okay day. Morikawa had an awesome day, and that's that's the way that works. You know, you can't you can't play defense out there, right? It's not like you can go out and block somebody's shot. You got to do what you can do and see what the other guy does. So I, I think he did just fine, and it's good to see him back in contention because he hadn't been playing that well in the first two days of tournaments coming into this. So it's good to see him back on track. Fully expecting to see him uh, do well at the rest of the majors this year. All right, two more questions for you, and again, thanks for your time, Michael. Um, Brooks Kepka put up a not-so-impressive 74 today and dropped to a tie for 29th when he was in the last three pairings. Yeah. Uh, and even before the tournament, they asked him about his chances today, and he said uh, kind of braggadociously, well, you know, I've kind of been here and done that. Uh, I've got a bunch of championships, and uh, no one else up here on the top of the leaderboard has got the uh, hardware that I've got. Uh, I didn't. I, I know Kepka's a confident guy, but I never thought of him as a cocky guy, and he took it to the cocky level today. I don't know if that spurred the winner on at all. If anything, I thought it might have eaten at his buddy uh, Dustin Johnson a little bit, who ends up finishing well above him. Kepka just being honest, shooting the breeze, thought that he could get a mental edge. Were you surprised by what he said before the tournament took off today? Not really. I mean, he's a he's a man of few words. You know, he's not um, uh, he's not Phil Mickelson. You know, who will give you fifteen minutes on you know the direction of the earth that is spinning. You know, it, it's it that's that's just Phil. That's who he is. Uh, but Brooks is uh, more that quiet type, the soft-spoken type, but he definitely has a giant chip on his relative, relatively giant shoulders. And he will tell you if he feels that you know he's better than this, he's better than the field. And he did the same thing with all the other championships. Look, he's the only guy who was coming in here who had a chance for a three-peat. You know, right. out of the, you know, coming into this championship, the last two U.S. Opens, last two PGAs, he had two, two wins and a second in the U.S. Open. He had two wins in the PGA Championship coming into this one. So, in my mind, He's, he's earned the right to talk a little smack. Didn't come through. We'll see what happens in the U.S. Open. Because, you know, again, in, in major championships, uh, if you take away this round, going into them, the favorite still has got to be Brooks Kepka. All right, and uh, I need you to be honest with me here because they kept harping on it on the tournament. And, again, I'm just judging by graphics because I can't have the volume up while I'm doing a show. They kept mentioning about the fact that Paul Casey has played in more majors without having won one than anyone in the history of golf. And at one point, he was surely tied for the lead. He might have had it there for about two or three minutes where he had the lead solo by himself. And he, of course, finishes in a second-place tie with Dustin Johnson. Uh, four or five holes to go. Were you rooting for Paul Casey? No. Okay, that's an honest answer. I like it. Why not? No. I, you know, Paul Casey's a nice player, and Paul Casey has made a great living, and uh, he just might win a major someday. You know, we'll see. But I, I think, you know, for me as a guy who follows the game and has to talk about the game to guys like you, then I would. There are other stories I'd rather talk about. There'd be Colin. There'd be Brooks. There'd be DJ. There'd be you know any number of better stories. Cameron Champ, you know, would have been a great story. Um, there's other stories that I'd rather tell. You know, God bless him. I I, I wish him no ill. But um, you know, when I'm rooting for Paul Casey, no, I can't find a hook. For him, but you know, I, maybe I need to go get to know Paul a little bit better. We spend some time, you know, have some beers, and you know, roll a couple frames of bowling, and you know, we'll see if we can uh, develop that type of relationship. But for now, yeah, I, I was rooting for somebody else. 
All right, give us a quick peek at the two remaining majors this year. There is no Open, a.k.a. the British Open. That's what I call it forever, and now I'm told I can't call it that anymore. I have to call it the Open. Um, But we do have the U.S. and the the late-in-the-year Masters. What did we learn going forward from today's outcome as to what we can look forward to in the two other majors? Interesting. Okay, so you have the uh, U.S. Open at Wingfoot which is uh, one of the toughest courses, one of the most pure golf courses in the world. It is built in the charter for that golf course. It was built um, by uh, the members to host championship golf tournaments. Um, and the first uh, U.S. Open that they held there was won by Bobby Jones. It has a pedigree as good as any course in the world. Um, it, it, the course can be set up to be incredibly difficult. If you remember in 1974, Hale Irwin won the Master of Wingfoot at seven over was the winning score. Um, that that is how hard that course can be. The interesting parts are going to be that you know you're going to have U.S. Open rough, but you won't have U.S. Open fans to trample it down. So I would say the two things to look for there are number one, the great views because you won't have stands or anything like that. You'll be able to be able to see these beautiful views. You'll have high rough, and I, I think you're going to see some lost balls like you really haven't seen before. And also they're going to hustle those guys around there because as you're coming later into the year. You'll have less daylight. So you got to squeeze in those tee times right. late in the day. Remember, you're not playing at the spring, beginning of spring or summer. You're going to have less less daylight there. So they really have to get after it in terms of tee times. Um, the Masters will be really interesting to like play in front of falling leaves instead of blooming azaleas and magnolias. Um, I think you know the course is going to be in phenomenal shape, of course, because they have a budget. You know, like the Department of Defense to keep it like that. So uh, it's it's, you know, it, it's going to be absolutely gorgeous to see. And, uh, you know, it's just going to be interesting to see if, you know, all these bombers, I mean, look at the guys at the top of the leaderboard, if these bombers can really finesse their game the way you have to um, for, for, for Augusta National. And, um, it, it, you know, I, again, you know, you won't have fans. You won't have a bunch of people down there, you know, and the roars. You'll miss the roars through the pines, you know, as people make those great shots. But um, still looking forward to seeing uh, the golfers, you know, do their thing at two of the best golf courses on the on the entire planet. I will tell you this: as a former Westchester County resident of New York, uh, who's had a a cold one or two in the 19th hole at Wingfoot. Never played the course, but uh, a member did invite me to come in and have a beer with him or two. Knowing the Westchester fans, oh, there'll be some in there. They'll sneak in. They'll get around in security. Uh, you try and run a uh, tournament at Wingfoot and tell all those Westchester golf fanatics they can't show up, then we'll see. There may be some arrests, but they will get in and they will be seen on television. That's a prediction. Who's going to win it? I don't know. But I can guarantee you I'll tell you some people get in to actually observe on the fan side at Wingfoot. Great stuff, Michael. Appreciate you coming on board. Thanks much for the insight. We will definitely do it again. Uh, we got a little later in the season. Always a pleasure, man. Anytime. My pleasure. So there you go. Uh, again, Colin Morikawa, performance for the ages. And we're going to see some great performances, some memorable uh, things. Look, the the, the uh, major championships are going to be memorable this year because of where they fall on the calendar, because of the circumstances, because of the, the great management and the great, let's say, courage that it takes to go out there and play this game to even organize these events uh, in the pandemic era to go out and perform with everything else that you have to worry about, uh, family and safety and all of these things, all the distractions, testing. I think it takes monumental performances by all these athletes, all these organizers, and heads up to them. I just can't wait to see more. Uh, 
We're going to take a break. We'll come right back. Our two guests are memorable in their own right. That's going to be Chris Card, a golf course operator in two of the busiest states uh, in the country, talking about his advice for how to run a property during the COVID-19 pandemic. And also Andy Johnston of Sentosa Golf Club in Singapore. It's going to be a great show. Hope you enjoy it. Michael Williams, 19th hole, Golf, WRX. Hi, this is Reese Jones on Michael Williams and the 19th hole. I look forward to, to talking to Michael every time. Welcome back to the 19th hole. Michael Williams, your host. Uh, as we continue through this most unusual 2020 season, travel uh, and golf, and even if you're not traveling, just golf in certain states remains, um, you know, as everything else does, it's not just sort of an automatic. You have to think about it. You have to consider what you're doing when you're there, how you get there, what you do when you stay there. All of these things uh, make a difference. And the one of the most challenging things about it is that there is no stable condition. Like you can be in a state where at one moment you're quite okay, and then the next minute, the whole thing is a complete forest fire. And the citizens have to deal with that. Government has, has to deal with that. Businesses have to deal with that. And of course, as golfers and golf course operators, we have to deal with it. So joining us now is a person who has lived this. And um, I, I didn't know how quite how he does his job on a normal year because of the uh, wide range of territory that he covers and um, the, the magnitude and the quality of it. But in this year, I think he's especially being outfitted for a cape. Uh, um, he is the president of the ownership group of Grand Harbor uh, Golf and Beach Club in Florida and also the club at New Seabury in Massachusetts. Please welcome Chris Card. Chris, thanks for uh, coming on and welcome to the 19th hole. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate uh, the opportunity. Hope you're well. Yeah, you know, as I said, I'm just uh, concentrating on 2020. My whole goal is to keep on the right side of the daisies, and uh, we'll see what happens in 2021, man. But um, it's just been uh, just a challenging year with a capital C and an exclamation point at the end. And as I was saying in the in the opening here, I mean, you have such a challenging job on a normal basis, running a club in Massachusetts, a club in Florida, uh, the different challenges for seasonality, the different challenges for types of play, agronomy, you name it. I mean, those things sort of cover the gamut. And now you have this. Um, I'm gonna ask you the broadest of questions. How has COVID-19 sort of changed things for you in this year? Well, I, I, I love my job. I love what I do. I love uh, the group that I work for. Uh, this this year, as you mentioned, has created challenges that no one has ever had to think of or get prepared for. Um, but it's it's forced us to, to rethink our businesses uh, as, as private member clubs, as a hospitality business. Um, and, and how can you better take care of your your customers, your members, your, your hotel guests, your clients? Uh, but more importantly, how can you better take care of your your, your staff and your employees, because they're the ones really on the front lines uh, communicating your, your message. That's a really good point. Um, it's not just the operators. It's all the people that are involved in the operation. And in any 
property. There's dozens, sometimes hundreds of people who are out there on a daily daily basis uh, making that that property uh, welcome and um, enjoyable for all your guests that are coming in. Um, so I, as I was talking about also in the open, you, know, you have the club in Massachusetts and you have a club in Florida. So at the beginning of the pandemic, it was the Northeast states on fire, including Massachusetts. And maybe you weren't playing that much golf necessarily in uh, March and April up north. But as, as things progress, you know, certainly the season has started there and you had to manage that. And Florida was quite OK. All of a sudden, the whole thing flips around. In Massachusetts is uh, a little bit calm and you have Florida that's just this complete sort of uh, pandemic nightmare. H- how difficult is it for you to try to manage the situations as the, the I guess the circumstances change so frequently and so dramatically? Well, yeah, I mean, listen, that's a great, it's a great point. It's a great, great question. I mean, I think from, from our perspective and again, two uh, very different geographical uh, uh, clubs, safety of your employees uh, and your staff is, is got to be number one priority. Um, communicating uh, information to them, you know, keeping in mind that uh, uh, trust, trust and uh, um, um, delegation, um, if you weren't ready to, to delegate to your teams prior to the pandemic, this has forced you uh, and you're probably in a little bit of a, of a struggle. Uh, but what we've, we've had to do is really take a look at what we're doing from a business perspective, make sure our staff has the information, uh, make sure they feel safe, make sure we answer their questions. Uh, they are the ones communicating with our members and, and guests uh, and as you mentioned you know when this when this really kicked off uh, in the beginning of the first quarter uh, you're, you're right up in Massachusetts we were really just uh, beginning to to scratch the surface of the beginning of our season so mm-hmm. we were able to kind of pump the brakes a little bit we didn't need to open at 100 uh, percent we were able to delay some of our seasonal staff right? we bring on approximately 450 uh, folks just for the spring summer and fall season uh, up in up on the cape so we pumped the brakes a little bit we were able to um, to delay a little bit uh, and as things got worse uh, in massachusetts obviously that lingered and continue to push forward um and then you know i think the governor in massachusetts charlie baker did some great things and we got very conservative and uh, you know hindsight's always going to be 2020 but i think it was certainly the right decision uh and in florida as you know uh you know february march is, is really peak season yeah so difficult decisions have to be made to curtail operations and again you follow the advice of the cdc and the who and your state um, and local governments, and, and we did that, and we were very, very conservative. Um, proud to say that uh, uh, we were able to uh, really limit the exposure uh, of our of our employees and our staff and our members to uh, to the virus. We had a, a few cases um, in Florida. We have not had any cases uh, touch wood uh, up in Massachusetts. So. Mm-hmm. You know, as you said, things have flipped a little bit. Florida's become a little more of a of a of a hot spot, so we continue to take a conservative approach. Uh, Massachusetts uh, being conservative on the front end has allowed us to be a little more aggressive with opening, still within guidelines, of course. Um, but again, you know what? Uh, things could change uh, by day and by week and by month. So we're we're going to continue to be nimble and uh, pivot when we need to and uh, 
keeping safety of uh, staff and members at the forefront. Well, we're talking to Chris Card of Grand Harbor Golf and Beach Club, also the club at New Seabury here on the 19th hole. Michael Williams, your host. Chris, um, so you take all the steps that you can to keep people safe, to make customers safe, to still maintain a certain level, a high level of, of excellence when it comes to your, your experience at your properties. How have the customers responded? What, what are tea times like? What is occupancy like? Well, you know, listen, in this uh, good, good question, if you're, uh, if you're in a popularity contest right now, you're probably not doing real well as an operator, certainly on the front end, because the decisions you've got to make are probably the mo- not the most uh, well-received. But I think in the end, people realize you're doing it for the betterment of them, um, their families, as well as your employees and staff. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're doing our best to, to limit the exposure. Um, we're getting creative where we can. Um, finding opportunities to create value for members. You know, we're, we're, uh, we're looking to, to, to reopen some more spaces up in Massachusetts right now, which we haven't had a chance to open yet. Uh, certainly we'll look to do the same uh, down, in, down in Florida as well. Hmm. And uh, when you look at, um, I, know, I don't want to make this seem like a crass question, but I am a former operator myself so i understand how slim the margins in this thing people it's funny to me when some people think that uh you can just make a bunch of money uh opening a a golf course and running it and i always tell people the best way to get a million dollars in the bank is to start with two and open a golf course because it's real easy (laughs) to, to, to lose that cash that's right on um but I guess my question is, uh, what's what's the effect on the bottom line? And I'm not even asking you if it matters. I'm just asking because I know that you're going to do everything you can, you know, and cost shouldn't be the issue. But that, there, there is an impact in terms of the cost for taking all these mitigation uh, 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 steps. Is there not? Oh, no, there absolutely is. And, and to your point, uh, you know, what, what's the old saying? Uh, you can never you can never save your way into a profit, but you can certainly spend your way into a, a deficit. Right. Um, you know, you have to remember that we're, we're dealing with with members and, and guests that uh, certainly at both of our clubs and the majority of, of private or semi private or resort facilities, your members are spending good money to be a part of what they hope is going to be a, a pleasant and special experience for many, many years. So, you know, you, we want to make sure we're adding value. I mean, quite honestly, we're, we're looking at 2020 as an opportunity to reinvent some of our businesses. Um, we're going to go a little bit against the, the grain, if you will, with our, with our membership uh, dues, dues lines. Uh, we're going to offer credits um, for, for 2021 for both, uh, both clubs, both in Massachusetts and Florida, we you know we, we think there's value in trying to create long-term memberships. Uh, so you know our our members, as example, uh, the members at New Seabury and at Grand Harbor. Yes, we've charged them full dues for 2020, but going into 2021, we're looking at probably a 20 to 25 percent, if not a little bit more, depending how much longer we're in this uh, this track with COVID. Right. Uh, uh, they'll get a discount towards next year's next year's dues and again we want to we want them to know that listen we're all in this together we understand you didn't get full value for what you paid um you know we're going to do the best we can keep in mind we've we've got to have the 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 cash flow to keep the lights on and the doors open and the staff paid um so to speak um but the flip side of that is michael uh, you asked earlier about you know how is the business 
uh, in Massachusetts, rounds of golf, we're up 25% year over year. Hmm. So it kind of doesn't seem, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But when you sit back and look at the data, you know, folks are quarantining. Um, being outside is a great form of exercise. You know, I think our, 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 our leaders within the golf side, the PGA of America, Club Managers Association, have done a great job of saying, listen, golf, tennis, outdoor activities that you can socially distance uh, appropriately are great ways to exercise and quite honestly maintain your sanity uh, and get some good value out of your membership. So we were, were really impressed with the numbers up there. Again, is it going to be a record year financially for us? A absolutely not, but that's probably third or fourth on our list of priorities right now, to be quite honest. Uh, there's going to be a lot of businesses. Well, there are a lot of large businesses that are going under. Yeah. Um, and I, I would say within the club and resort hospitality segment, you're going to see some, some clubs that are not going to survive this. So, you know, being nimble, being proactive, you know, being decisive with decision-making is certainly always going to help. But, uh, but realizing that at the end of the day, during something like this, we've all got to come together and, and uh, profitability and, and uh, a great EBITDA, a healthy EBITDA is, is really not uh, – um, the main goal for us right now yeah. uh, that that will come in 2021 and 2022 uh, if we make good decisions and take care of our members and our and our guests and our staff right, you know, totally, today. I, I totally get that and uh, as you as you say we're not sure when we're going to be through with this when we're going to be past it you know some say when there's a vaccine some say never that sort of thing you know we don't know uh, but we do learn things from these situations. I remember in operations that when we had our biggest calamities is when we learned things and there was there were always a couple of things that managed to work them ways their way into our our permanent uh, operational mode and we learn things that we do okay we should do this more often about uh, signage and um, you know tea time but you know, all sorts of things the unexpected where you go wow that's that's something we should keep in the future is there anything that you're doing now that you've learned during this and, and how you handle your operation that is going to become a permanent part of the way you and other uh, operators do business uh, absolutely, I'll tell you the, the biggest example that pops out uh, immediately when you when you ask that question, Michael, is is our cleaning protocols. And and I I felt and I believe with with our teams uh, both in Mass and in, and in Florida, we did a very good job from from a cleaning perspective. We do have some accommodations, and you know I know the protocols that we work through, but this has completely rewritten the book for us on 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 cleaning, um, even at our even at the club level. Uh, in our dining rooms, in our locker rooms, and I think it's created a new norm for us. That's the biggest one. Again, I thought we were pretty good, but now having hand sanitizer, it, that's never going to go away for us. I think we'll keep our hand sanitizer machines uh, in perpetuity at our front desk operations, in our men's and ladies' locker rooms, um, you know, as you enter the dining rooms. I, I think that's a great great opportunity for all of us to maintain, um, you know, just the disposable wipes, um, you know, using technology better, you know, the, the, the UV light uh, that a lot of the larger uh, hotel companies are using to, to disinfect and uh, sanitize. Um, for us, Michael, that stuff's never going to go away. What a great opportunity. And I think people will always have 
you know, when we get through this, if we're we're looking two and three years down the road, people will look back at the 2020 COVID-19 pandemic and say, okay, well, look what still is in play today for my safety, for my benefit, things that were implemented two and three years ago. So again, the sanitizer, the wipes, the lights, uh, the touchless uh, entry, touchless check-in, you know, things like that, using your phone more often uh, rather than having to, to touch surfaces. Yeah. I, I think that's the biggest one for sure for us. Right, that's a very interesting things there. And again, I think those are uh, nuggets that will be passed around the industry and people will begin to pick those things up because they're smart. They improve the customer experience. And eventually, as you streamline operations, they can improve the bottom line. I think there's just a lot to be to be learned there if we pay attention. Uh, as, we, as we close here, Chris, I just want to know if you have... A word of encouragement, I would say, you know, for your fellow operators. Again, you have such a unique situation where you have Florida, you have Massachusetts, the idea that you have two properties, so many different things that you're doing. And I think that um, your experience can benefit a lot of people. So for people who are sort of dog paddling and trying to keep their nose above water and not sure they're going to make it, what, what would you say is a, is a word of encouragement and a word of advice? Well, I, I think um, you know, I think we all have a lot of pride in in, uh, in what we do, and I would say that um, uh, you know I've been in this business uh, right at 30 years now, and I think uh, you need to look at every day as an opportunity to learn something new, something different. There is certainly no shame in having to raise your hands uh, to your fellow uh, club managers and GMs and, and such within the industry that are in your local area. Say, hey, I need some help. What are you doing to be successful? Uh, with your agronomy, with your restaurant operations right now, within your kitchen, you know, we're there. It's a big fraternity, if you will. And uh, as you know from your time in the industry uh, as an operator, uh, if you can't reach out to your fellow managers and ask for help, um, you're 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 at a disadvantage. So reach out, find out the best practices. You may think you know the answers, but I'll tell you what, there's going to be somebody out there that's worked a little harder and, and created an opportunity and a best practice that you can easily implement uh, within your team. So there, again, no, no shame in, in asking for help. That is for sure. Because at the end of the day, it's about the safety uh, of your staff and employees and your membership. So if they see, if your staff sees that, that you're willing to find different opportunities to make it better for them and you're asking for help uh, that that shows that you're a true leader um, when you're willing to find uh, better opportunities and ask for help and things like that and certainly again certainly no shame in uh, finding best practice and implementing those well that's just awesome that's just pure flat out wisdom right there and um, I can't think of a better way uh, to, to end this segment than just to give that piece of encouragement and wisdom uh, to the industry and I hope everybody listens and takes your advice on that one Chris thanks so much for taking the time uh, be well be safe and uh, as soon as I possibly can I, I will see you at one if not both of those properties in the coming months Thank you, Michael. Look forward to that opportunity. You got it, my friend. That is Chris Card. He is the president of the ownership group of uh, Grand Harbor Golf Club, at Golf Grand Harbor Golf and Beach Club in Florida, and the club at New Seabury in Massachusetts. Look again, as a former operator, I take great pride and great interest in 
bringing educated, experienced, and as I say, wise voices in to talk to the listeners, those out there in the audience who are in that situation right now. And I think that was so profound what he said that sometimes you can just be in your echo chamber and you're looking at things and you just can't figure out what to do. And the last thing that you think of is the first thing you ought to think of, which is pick up the phone and ask for help. That's good advice in pretty much every aspect of life, really, is to get a second set of eyes on that thing, get another perspective. But we're all going through this together. That's not... um, a metaphor. So um, it's not hyperbole. We are all going through this thing together. So to reach out, find out what's going on, who's doing it well, and and apply it. You know, let's get a greatest hits type of thing going and apply them at all of our clubs so we can continue to have uh, healthy and enjoyable experiences uh, at our golf clubs. Uh, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back with more golf and stuff. Michael Williams, 19th hole, golf, WRX. Nineteenth hole, Michael Williams, your host here, and as you know, y'all have heard me whine constantly this year about the fact that I don't get to travel, don't get to go see great golf courses, and don't get to tell you about them. Uh, it's 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 burden, you know. That's part of the thing that I really love about the game. You know, of course, I love watching the pros do their thing, I love the equipment and uh, those things, but it's really those people and places that you get around and get a chance to see that have made the connection uh, for me, uh, that made it a game of a lifetime for me, and I know for a lot of you too. Uh, but I keep hearing things, you know, from the outside, from places that I uh, will be going as soon as I am able. Uh, and one of them is a club that's fascinated me. You all know that I lived in Asia for a while, and I visited, visited Singapore many times. And I wasn't playing golf at that time. But man, if I had been, what would I have been all over this place? Um, this place has uh, hosted World Championships. Last year, it hosted the uh, HSBC Women's World Championship. Um, It has been named the best golf club in the world. That's right. It's not Pine, but no. It's not Augusta, no. It's this one that got named best golf club in the world. I'm talking about Sentosa Golf Club, and they have recently taken on an initiative that makes them, once again, one of the unique properties in the entire world. Joining us to talk about it is the general manager and director of agronomy uh, at Sentosa Golf Club in Singapore, Andy Johnston. Andy, welcome back to the 19th hole. How are you, my friend? Michael, I couldn't be better, and thanks for... uh, Thanks for taking this time to have us on, and uh, great to talk to you again. Uh, look forward to the next time you come back to Singapore. Can't wait to have you out at the club. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love Singapore. It's just such a beautiful place. It's literally like this island paradise to me. And it was one of those places, the two places I've been in the world that have the same thing, Amsterdam and Singapore, where it's like it's illegal for women to not be beautiful. It's like every single woman is absolutely drop-dead gorgeous. And I, I yeah. 
for that reason and many others. I can't wait to get back to uh, uh, to, to, to Singapore. Since we last talked, you hosted, uh, speaking of women, the HSBC, the Women's World Championship. How did that go, that event? We haven't talked since then. Well, you know, we, 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 we had the backup of the event before that. We had the Singapore Open. Right. And uh, that event, we had Matt Kuchar win. And it was one of the few events on the Asian tour schedule that year because just after that, the COVID, the COVID situation accelerated and the Asian tour season kind of came to a, a quick closure. Um, and, and, and many of you may remember, and, and I'm sure Matt would hate for me to say this, but he had that, uh, had that famous air shot on, on the yes. hole right. where he completely missed. Yeah. He completely missed the ball and, and, and still, still was able to, to capture his composure and came back together and, 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 and win the event. And it was, you know what, it was, it was one of the, one of the highlights of, of our Singapore opens to see him come out and come do it. As we were com- completing that event, we were doing the buildup for the Singapore open. I mean, excuse, excuse me for the uh, HSBC world women's championship who the girls were in Australia um, and and we were we were two weeks away. They were coming up to come see us, and we had our our first case in Singapore develop, and we actually didn't get to host the event. Wow. Okay. So, so we we yeah yeah a lot a lot of people don't really remember that because it seems like it was six years ago now. Right. But with everything that's happened in the wow. world, but uh, yeah, the whole buildup was built up, and and we were uh, we were we were kind of robbed of the opportunity to put it together. Our last our last World Women Championship was the year before that when you and I caught up, and uh, at that time the Korean sensation. Um, Park had just won and captured the world number one spot again. Yeah, NB. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, it does seem like it's uh, years ago. Because I know we talked right before the 2019 championship is the last one that uh, the last time we talked, right. I believe, uh, on the air. Right. But you guys have had really a lot right. going on since then. Um, everything from uh, I, so, and the thing that really sort of stands out about your club is how. The issue of uh, agronomy and the way you maintain not only just the grounds and uh, the conditions on the golf course, you take it as a, a sort of a, a whole environment type of a, a approach to that thing. Is that is that sort of a founding principle of that of that club, or is that something that you brought to it? Where does that whole ethos of really being so concerned about the golf course as a part of the overall environment? Where does that come from? Well, you know, we've we've been in existence for 47 years, mm-hmm. and and it really, as you just kind of pointed it out, in the last in the last 10 years, and and I've been with the club for the last decade. Mm-hmm. In the last 10 years, we've we've taken on a different attitude, and 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 we're only all we have is golf. You know, we don't have swimming. We don't have any other kind of any other kind of amenities. All we have is golf at the club. And our and our attitude is the golf course is our most important asset. Mm-hmm. And without a great golf course, why else would you come to the club? And and obviously with my, my background being from agronomy, it's it's our goal and we have it on the wall at, at at golf maintenance. It's in the wall in the members car park when you arrive and it says today is not a practice round. The tournament is today. And and so 
you know, this this is a, a saying of ours, and, and we live every day as if it's tournament conditions 365 days out of the year. And, and that's what built our fundamentals of what's really pushed us into this worldwide profile. It's, it's really every day out as if it's the most important day. I, I, I get that. And it shows, you know, I, I haven't been on the golf course, but I've seen um, the photographs of it, I've seen the pictures and they just, you know, are, you know, sort of uh, uh, like calendar shots, you know, it, it, there, there's this sort of pinup style of beautiful that when you look at the, the golf course and its conditioning and the layout and the whole thing, I mean, even from your title, I, I rarely see the combination of general manager and director of agronomy. It's I 99% of the time, it's general manager and director of golf or director of instruction. It usually comes from the playing side. I think it really says something about your club that it's general manager and director of agronomy. You're really approaching the, the general uh, stewardship of the course from a from a different uh, perspective, from the agronomy point of view. No, no, that's exactly right. I mean, you don't see very many of us from from my side of the uh, yeah, as, as some of the guys say, and the other side of it. Oh, so you went to the dark side? You went to the GM side? <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, you don't you don't see very many of us from my part of the industry elevate to to. Uh, that hospitality area and and quite honestly you know what what we do is such a science it's such a profession and and really it helps us drive the kind of quality that we have although i don't think there's anything more than hospitality i mean when when you arrive at our club i i i want you to be welcomed i want you to feel like you're special I want you to you have that conversation at the you know at the golf encounter when you check in, and it and it goes into the locker room, it goes into our food and beverage area, it goes down to the golf cart, and it comes back to you at the at the end of your game, as if you're the most special person on the face of the earth. I mean mm. that's really important to us, but but also is the conditioning. And if you can't put those two things together, you've somehow missed the opportunity. Mm. Uh, it's fascinating stuff to me because I'm so into the agronomy side um, because it's a green grass sport. And without uh, that part coming together, uh, basically, you've got, you know, a restaurant and a parking lot. So um, uh, it's, it's it's so important. We're talking to Andy Johnston. He's the general manager and director of agronomy at Sentosa Golf Club in Singapore. It's the 19th hole. Michael Williams, your host. Uh, Andy, you have enrolled uh, in a very unique initiative that is uh, part of the United Nations. And I know that when I was at uh, my golf, the golf course where I got started, we spent a lot of time and effort. I pushed us to get into it, this Audubon, Audubon program uh, for environment and uh, uh, wildlife preservation and that sort of thing on the golf courses. You've taken that a step further into a global United Nations initiative. Um, can you tell, tell me a little bit about that? What, what's going on with that? And how did you come to be the first uh, golf club in the world, I believe, to become a part of this thing. Yes, we are, and and we we made this we made this official about a week ago. Um, so we we became the first golf club in the world to to become a member of the United Nations Climate Change Action Initiative. Um, and, and, you know, in the UN agreement, or as some people know it as the Paris Agreement, um, there is a section in there that's dedicated to sports and sports initiatives. Um, and when you look at it, there's about 167 
maybe maybe slightly more than that. I can't remember the exact number, but there's there's about that many uh, names around the world that have dedicated their 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 club, their industry, their profession to. The, the UN climate agreement and some of the names I mean for instance the New York Yankees um, are in there huh. and, and and what we're saying as a sports industry is climate changes is extremely important and we as the big players in sports can make a difference we can do things different we can help to to, to to change the way we do business to help the environment, and there's there's five there's five initiatives in the climate change agreement, but really it all boils down to you know to to, to, to lowering your emissions, and that's probably one of the most important things in the world right now that most of us recognize are important. I mean we've we've put really for the last decade we've put a whole long laundry list of things out there to change the way we do our business that deals with agronomy, that deals with the club operations. But uh, uh, it, it's it's so important that we all make the difference to stand up and, and, and help lead the world in climate change so that others will follow. And uh, I mean, this is really fascinating stuff because I had no idea that there was a sports section in in the uh, the Paris Agreement, the whole Paris Accord. I had no idea. And to hear that the New York Yankees are a part of it, so it's like you and the New York Yankees. That's pretty rarefied air that you're that you're uh, 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 sitting in right there. So let me ask you this: uh, You're the first. What, what did you have to do to to be a part of this? What's your commitment as part of uh, signing on to this? Well, well, the, equip, the 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 main part of the uh, obligation is that we're going to continue to make a commitment to lower our emissions each year, and and so, okay, we we also at the same time about two weeks earlier uh, agreed or, or made an agreement and joined Geo, so Golf for the Environment Organization, which is a a UK firm, but one of the two big pillars in the world that certifies golf courses for uh, their credibility in, in environmental uh, 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 their environmental approach. And, and of course, we had these, these, these agendas going on for a while, but okay, so one of the first things we'll do is get our carbon footprint evaluated. And so we'll, we'll kind of set the platform on what we're actually doing today. And then each year we'll work at reducing that so that we can get to what I hope, and maybe we already are, carbon neutral. And if we can run our operation at carbon neutral, and if every golf club could do that, we've just made we've just made a movement that could be most one of the most powerful movements in the world. I mean, imagine this. Golf. There's 39,000 golf courses in the world. And if we're all doing our part to, to, to capture carbon sequestration, and be carbon neutral, we could be one of the biggest movements in the world in sports to to help climate change. Yeah, it's fascinating. As I sit here and think about it, I'm trying to think about this this game, this sport, probably covers more of the earth than all of the sporting fields in any other sport combined, right? I mean, we talked about football fields and soccer pitches. Absolutely. Right? So it's it's all outdoors. It covers massive amounts of land. And the way that you choose to handle that land and uh, maintain it is 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 huge. It's 
uh, it's sort of obvious now when you look at it that way that it's going to have a, a huge impact. Does, does the UN give you a set of guidelines or standards that you have to meet or is it sort of up to you to prevent to present your own standards and then report to them that you're meeting them? Who, who does the, I guess, the uh, the checking up on this? It's in, it's in both areas. So they okay. do give you a set of guidelines that you need to try and achieve. But you also need to self-police yourself and try to achieve those guidelines and then report back in. And, and of course, they have other other uh, and important kind of uh, uh, categories and agendas that they look for your participation on, which will which will do our part in as we as we continue to get to know the organization better and help lead. Uh, you know, but one of our goals is to is to highlight that you know golf can be so important to the world in climate change that you need you need facilities like us in these big urban concrete bungles to help cool the golf. To, to help cool the city down because grass has got this this cooling effect opposed to the hard surfaces of asphalt and concrete right um, but but you know it's, it's on it's on both centers mm-hmm. what, what what are the things that you do some of the the obvious things that you do maybe a couple of the not so obvious things that you do to to achieve your carbon neutral status yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw out a couple that will probably also spin you around a little bit, but and I'll, I'll start slow. Okay, two <laughs> years ago we got rid of all of our plastic water bottles, and and so when we got rid of plastic water bottles two years ago, it was probably one of the most unpopular things in our our, our facility. I mean, there there were, there were days where I was thinking, oh my goodness, you know, this might be my last day, but <laughs> it, it, we finally got to, to grips with it. We, we installed water stations around the golf course so you could bring your own water bottle, water whatever, and fill up. And, and, and here's what happened. We've, we've stopped buying 122,000 water bottles a year. And now it's been two years. So think about that. It's almost 300,000 bottles. Wow. That fills 22 Olympic swimming pools. Wow. That's how many plastic water bottles we have not put to the problem. We've removed all single-use plastics. So we've changed those with other things. Um, we, we, we flipped our whole golf course fleet out to lithium battery golf course, you know, uh, golf carts. So, so, you know, you think about that, the lithium battery golf cart, it lasts eight years. Uh, the, the, the old lead base every year we were changing those lead based batteries yeah um, we installed we installed this one's gonna this one's gonna turn the conversation a little bit but we started installing bee colonies in odd yeah. places of yeah. our property where yeah. we just can't use it for golf and and we now have I, my goal this year was to get to 20 uh, the, the COVID environment has slowed us down a little bit, but we sure. have five healthy bee colonies right now, and, and they're they're doing fantastic. Um, we started introducing biochar, so so this is a charcoal type material to our fertility program at Agronomy. Now now biochar, mm-hmm. we're the first in Asia to bring it to Asia. Mm. It's reduced our fertility inputs by fifty percent. Wow. It's reduced our nematicides by 95%. It's reduced our fungicides by 40%. So it, it is a game changer when you talk about creating a healthier plant in a better environment. 
Yeah, these are just a couple things. I mean, I could go on for an hour about it, but these are just a couple things we've done. Well, I guess the place where you could go on for an hour is if there was some sort of symposium or or summit. Is 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 there a effort by the UN to coordinate the, I mean, you're the first, um, I guess I could say now you're the first, it's only been a week. Are, are others in line and how will you guys get to share your information with the rest of the world so you can recruit other courses to, to come and do this and be a part of it? Well, we do plan. I mean, it's funny you say that a summit and I'm not sure if, if the team had, had mentioned that to you, but we do plan to have a, a summit and we're going to have a biannual summit uh, every other year in Singapore. And we're going to do it in combination with the RNA um, and, and try to use it as a platform to, to drive, you know, these kinds of very important agendas. Um, but uh, how do we intend to get others on board? Really, it's going to be through, you know, word of mouth. People like you, uh, the, the the golf business itself, the GCSAA, the PGA, um, our big tournaments, and, and and just make an awareness with our our brotherhood how important this is. And 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 and, and like I said before, there's 39,000 golf courses in the world, and we can be we can be one of the biggest vehicles in the world to to change climate change. And, and, and make an awareness of that. I mean, we're, we're, everybody looks at us as such an elitist sport, and sport is why we're here. But if you look at all the other great things we do for the environment, it's just overwhelming. Nice. I mean, I think it's really an awesome thing. No, I didn't hear about the summit. I'm just super intuitive, man. That's just the honest truth. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I actually w- would love to be to be at that summit. I guess the last thing I have to ask you is, if you look at this, it is definitely a noble move. Is it a uh, is it a good move for the, for your bottom line? Are you saving money at the same time that you save in the environment? You know, there's nothing. There's nothing uh, cheap about investing in the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it does cost money to invest in the environment. But if we don't invest in it, it won't be there for our kids. If we don't do the right things and step up and 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 spend the money to be to be uh, responsible, it won't be there. And and so, okay, let's let's let me answer it this way: the the. Uh, the golf carts, the uh, lithium battery golf carts that we just upgraded to, um, they're not cheap, but in the long run, they're they're the they're the best bang for the buck. Why? Because you don't have to continue to replace those batteries. But the initial investment, yeah, they're more than the other one. So it depends on how you look at it. Do we want to invest in our future, or do we want to just pay for tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's very well said. I, I, I love it. Um, for more information, if people who are listening to this who are operators want to to be a part of this, I assume that they're t- taking all comers. And uh, how, how do you how do you enroll or enlist in the, in the program? Okay, so so my 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 advice is is uh, the RNA has a they have a plan called the twenty thirty. And, and this is uh, an agenda that they've put together that helps everybody uh, uh, drive their individual programs around the world towards environmental sustainability. It goes back to the GEO 
uh, you know, golf and the environment organization. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the RNA, not, nothing against the USGA. The two of them work very well together. But the RNA has a, a, a department that's strictly driven towards environmental sustainability. And they have some really good programs that help clubs get in that pattern and move forward. And everything we do drives everything towards the RNA. Hmm. Interesting. So I'm going to go do my research and I hope people listening to this will go do their research, uh, see what they can do, be a part of this program, you know, be a part of the the solution, as they say, rather than than part of the problem. And and, uh, as I'm doing over and over again with you, congratulations on what you guys are doing over at Sintosa. Once again, um, you're, you're leading the pack. Yeah, thank you, Michael. Yeah, and uh, again, as soon as we're allowed to travel safely and uh, easily, I will pack my bags and it will be a trip to Singapore. And uh, we'll get to do this. We'll do this conversation on your front porch next time, live, for sure. Yeah, I look forward to seeing you. Outstanding. Thanks so much, Andy. Appreciate it. Okay, take care. That's Andy Johnston, the general manager and director of agronomy at Sentosa Golf Club in, in Singapore. Uh, again, Singapore, beautiful place. Sentosa, beautiful golf course. Great golf courses uh, produce great champions, and uh, that's what they uh, got when they had uh, Matt Kuchar win, win there. Again, the United Nations uh, being a part of this whole thing and, and doing this, uh, I, I love the fact that people are looking out for the future and that the game, once again, can be a leader. You know, this little game of ours, this little golf, and people say, oh, not that many people play, not that many people care, but look at the amount of land that it covers. Look at the amount of people that really actually play and are connected to this thing. And it can make such an impact in so many ways. And it's just always, it always pleases me to see people understand that role and then step into it and step up to it. So um, that that's exciting for me. I hope it is for you too. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back with more golf and stuff. Michael Williams, 19th hole, golf, WRX. boys and girls that's it and that's all for this week that's this episode of the 19th hole i want to thank our guests chris card who is a phenomenal operator and i uh, can't wait to get to his properties and see how he's doing what he's doing i hope that uh, you in the audience who are operators yourselves got some ideas for what you can do to keep your properties humming along uh during this whole thing this whole strange time also thanks to uh, Andy Johnston of Sentosa. What a magnificent property they have and what a great initiative that they're taking by being a part of the overall solution that impacts golfers not only now, but in the future. We have the first tee to make sure that we have golfers going into the future. Wouldn't it be nice if we had golf courses further in the future? So kudos to those guys for making that happen. You can hear this podcast and all of the great golf WRX podcasts on golfwrx.com. You can also find us on SoundCloud. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Apple iTunes, Apple Music, whatever it's called now, and a host of other neighborhoods, joints, and locations where great podcasts are found. As for social media, you can find me on Instagram. That's at Michael Williams TV. You can find me on Twitter. That's at Michael on TV. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, Hit me up there. 
You can ask me questions, you can give me comments, whatever you want to do. Operators are standing by. Uh, thank you for listening as always. Hope you get a chance to go out and play some safe socially distanced golf this week. Uh, if you do, please remember to hit them straight. And above all, don't count the days, make the days count. Michael Williams, 19th hole, golf, WRX.